We're headed in our Bibles to a variety of passages. Why don't you head over to Matthew 6? That's probably the first one you can join me in, in Matthew 6 in a couple minutes. If you didn't get sermon notes, you want to have them. <clears throat> we are going to use the screen tonight just because I'm going to run through a lot of different passages. And so... We're going to be covering some ground tonight and trying to go speedily through a section. Now, this morning we talked about this idea that heaven is filled with many wonders. We've been talking about the last few weeks. We made a comment and an observation this morning that one of the things that's going to be experienced by all of us in heaven is a judgment. Now, I said this morning that there are two major judgments in heaven. Somebody asked me afterwards, do you know of any others that are in the Bible? Yes, I do. But the two major ones I was focusing on were the ones that are going to take place in heaven. You do know from your Bible study that Matthew chapter 25 and 26 indicates there is a third major judgment that's called the sheep goat judgment. Yes, no? You've heard of that one? That is dealing primarily with what happens after the tribulation, right prior to going into uh, the millennial kingdom. It's going to be focused more mostly upon the Jews who are getting the resurrected bodies coming into that kingdom, uh, fits with Daniel chapter 12, and those who are coming out of the tribulation, those who were saved during that time period. It is mostly dealing with the Jewish orientation, those who are saved in what we call the dispensation of the law or the dispensation of the tribulation. It doesn't apply as much to you and I living in this day. We'll be there, we'll see it, but it is another judgment. It takes place here on earth. The two that are in heaven are the ones that we talked about. That is the Bema seat for the Christians, the great white throne judgment for those who are not saved. Well, we made this observation that was very clear and we want to just keep, and I challenge you, write this down. Keep this with you this week. It will make a difference. As you think about this idea that what we do this week, what we do today, it determines what we will do in eternity. What I do, how I receive Respond this week could have major impact upon the rewards that Jesus Christ gives me. The same for you. And so we not only could it make a difference in somebody's eternal destiny by sharing the gospel and getting them saved, but even the rewards that we experience. And so we know that what's happening is that our lives right today, they will have eternal impact. And so when talking about that, we mentioned this morning that if we are faithful, there are three things that we could experience from the Lord. We could hear the well done, thou good and faithful servant. We could get the crowns. There are five listed. We'll be referring to them tonight in the course of your notes. There is also what we said this morning that we rule and reign with him. Several texts talk about that. Revelation talks about where we read in Revelation chapter 20, verse 6. It says, blessed and holy is he that has part in the first resurrection. That includes us. That includes the Old Testament saints that are going into the kingdom. And it says that they shall reign with Christ for a thousand years. We read also in Revelation 22, in verse 5, when he's describing the new Jerusalem, the eternal heaven, the new heaven and earth, that he makes the comment that they shall see his face and his name shall be in their foreheads. They shall reign with him forever and ever. So we have that idea of crowns. We have the idea of commendation. We have the idea that we're going to, in the course of this, have the opportunity to serve him. 1 Corinthians 6 adds to that. In 1 Corinthians 6, the text is talking about Christians having conflict with one another. And he's challenging and says, listen, why are you going to the courts? Don't you know that the saints shall judge the world? Don't you know that we shall judge the angels? If that's the case, then don't go to the civil, civil authorities to resolve your problems. And in that context of dealing with the issue, he reveals to us that we are even going to have judgment over some of the different peoples that are, that are in that time period. And so Jesus is going to give us a lot of different privileged opportunities. Now, some people will still say, what's the big deal? I'm going to get to heaven, I'm going to get there, so even if I get there by the skin of my teeth, or as 1 Corinthians says, you saved yet so as by fire. So what's the big problem? I, I don't think we operate this way in any other realm of our life. 
that people would say, who cares? Uh, there are a few. I understand there's some that operate that way who have no goals, who have no purpose in life, who are just basically a wasted bag of skin. <laughs> and I understand we run into some people. That's rare. The majority of you sitting in this room, you would not tolerate the idea of going through high school, being there that whole time, and not getting a diploma. You'd be upset. You work in high school, or you just kind of get through in high school, so you get something at the end. You want that something. Some of you have paid a lot of money to go through college or for your kids to go through college, one of the two or both. And at the end of it, don't you want the degree? Don't you want something to show for it? And it would bother us if we didn't have that. Let me, let me see if I can put it this way. What if you were one of those young people age 16? You sat in driver's training, you went through the class, so now you're just perfectly content to sit and tell mom and dad how to drive. And you don't care if you get your license. That's not the norm. The norm is, they tell us how to drive, plus they want their license, right? And so that's, there's that purpose, there's that drive, there's that motivation, because you want something at the end. I don't know of hardly anybody that I've run into that says, I don't care if I ever get a raise in my 50 years of working, I don't care if I get a promotion. I'm just so glad I get to work at McDonald's. I don't care if I ever get a promotion or a raise. I don't care if I work for Hershey Corporation and they put anything in my retirement. As long as they pay me just the bottom line wage, you know, minimum wage, I'll be happy just because I get to work there. Really? Is that the way people operate? I don't think so. And it doesn't happen for most of us in our life. In fact, let's rephrase it this way. You are so happy you're married, you don't care how you're treated once they say, I do. Right? You don't care if your spouse ever appreciates you. You're just so excited that you get to be married to him or her. And if they never talk to you, if they never say, I love you, it won't bother you one bit. Yeah, right, right. And I, I've, I've counseled a lot of people. I've never run into any that say, I just got the ring. That's all I was after. Okay, let me rephrase it this way. You spend the time raising the kids. Father's Day, Mother's Day comes by. You don't care if they get you anything or even mention it. No. No. You labor, you work, and it is a privilege to be a parent. And you are thrilled to be a parent. But don't you appreciate the thank you? Doesn't that make a difference? Well, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about not just getting to heaven, but being there and hearing our master, our savior, the one who saved our souls, saying, thank you for your labors. Now, again, I, I find it amazing that he would do that since he's so gracious to even allow us into his heaven. So he's so gracious to even enable us to work, to give us the voices, the breath to be able to serve. He should get all the glory and we shouldn't get any commendation, but he graciously gives it to us. And so the question that we have is this, what kinds of things should I be focused on? What exactly is Jesus looking for? Did you ever have one of those professors that when you came to the time of an exam, they never told you what they were going to test you on? Do you ever have one of those? And you never knew what the, where this test was going. They just say, know the material. Well, okay, what does that mean? Do I know what you said, what this does done, what everything you reference? There's usually the better teachers are the ones that give you an idea what's the expectation. What's going to be, they don't have to give you the answers. But they give you an idea of what you should be focused on, where you're going to be going. The same thing is true with Jesus Christ. He tells us, I'm going to give you rewards. And then he specifically spells out in the New Testament a number of areas that he's going to reward us for. 
And you and I ought to be focused on these areas. Let me give you several of those, okay? Number one, you're just, leave, your, leave your Bibles where you're at. We'll come to, I'll catch up with you. But there's a passage in 1 Peter. Let me read the text for you. It's in 1 Peter, and here's the passage that talks to pastors. I wanted to get this one out and over with right away because it doesn't apply to the majority of us here. But it's basically saying that those in vocational ministry, like those of us who are, this is our livelihood, that we need to be faithful in the area of shepherding. He says these words, the elders which are among you I exhort whom also an elder, a witness of the sufferings, and also a partaker of the glory. Here's what he tells them, listen. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, not forcefully, but willingly, graciously, kindly, not for money's sake or filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. And he says, when the chief shepherd shall appear, you shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. The crown is a stephanos or stephanoi. It is one of those five crowns that are given to believers at the bema seat of Jesus Christ. That are the laurel wreaths given to those who have run the race well. And he says, this is for pastors. So this one I particularly want to say, okay, what is he telling me in this text? He is telling me that it is more important than just putting in hours. It is more important than running a program, to doing a building program, to be able to administrate things. He wants me to be ministering to people. He says you feed the flock. He says that you take the oversight, not by force, but willingly you serve people. He's calling me to interaction with people. My son had the opportunity just a couple weeks ago, he wasn't here on a Sunday because he was in California preaching. He was preaching at a camp. And he says one of the things that happened there was all kinds of weird things. He says one weird thing is they shipped in the snow for the camp. Because this elementary age there in Santa Clara, California, they'd never seen snow or been in snow in that town. So they shipped in a truckload of snow for the camp. They put it in the parking lot. It was okay, he said, until one little boy came running up and said to Tony's friend that was the pastor there in charge, said, Pastor Landon, I just, I, my, my stomach was really upset. I really felt sick. Well, are you okay? Yeah, I'm, I'm okay. I threw up. So now I feel much better. And so they said, oh, so you got sick to your stomach. Yeah. Well, why don't you show us where it was so we can clean it up? Oh, no, I took care of it. I covered it up. Where did you get sick? In the snow. And I just covered it all up. So they went and searched the snow pile about where he was. There was a, another dozen kids right there. So they never found it. Gross. Terrible. Okay. Hope it's, I hope it, nobody else got sick from that one. But he said the thing that amazed him the most was, it's a church that's a very active church. It's larger than ours, but has a lot of ministries. But the pastoral staff has a unique uh, opportunity. They don't have to interact with the people at all. At all. There are so many, the way that they delegate, that the, the person that he was interacting with said that he doesn't have to ever talk to church people except for those who are underneath him in the teaching ministry. I would find that very difficult, not to be able to interact with you. To me, that, would be, that takes away the joy of the ministry because you're the joy of the ministry. I guarantee building programs are not the joy of the ministry. Okay? Administration is not the joy of the ministry. It is you. And he says, okay, we got to be focused on you, feeding you, helping you, guiding you, um, giving protection at times, as well as giving leadership. And he's calling those who are in ministry to say, you better really do the job. Not just fill in time, not just have a job, not just, not just walk away with a paycheck, but it better be ministry. <clears throat> ministry. Now, that, that one I've gone a little bit too long, so let's catch up to your places. He's talking in this text of Matthew chapter 6 about your finances. In Matthew chapter 6, he's going to talk in the Sermon on the Mount about what he's going to do to reward people. In Matthew 6, in this, in this passage, it's that time we're down in verse 19. 
He's going to talk about you and how you handle your finances. Now, let me remind you. Let's go back in history a little bit. You have heard in, those, in historical times that there was people, alchemists and others, who tried to do transmutation. Their idea was to convert some, some elements into another element. And remember what it was that many talked about and wanted to do? They wanted to take normal materials and minerals and transfer it into gold. Transmutation. How could we make something, just little, some copper, some iron ore, how could we make it gold? And they did all kinds of ideas and tests. Well, Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 and following tells us how to convert our money, our investments into gold that lasts for eternity. Look what he says in verse 19. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon the earth where moth and dust corrupt, Matthew 6, verse 19, where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures where? In heaven, okay, he goes on, lay up treasures in heaven where he says, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And he goes on and makes other comments about it. His point is that you and I need to be very careful with our finances. Why? They're an eternal investment. Should I give you a passage that kind of gives you more of an idea? Paul writes the Philippians and he says, I'm, I, I know I have some needs. You have been helping me. I don't say this that I still have needs for you to send me another gift. But he says, but still, I want you to understand that I'm writing this not because I desire more money from you, but I desire that you understand that you have more fruit in your life that it may abound to your account. What's he talking about? As they have been helping him and assisting him and they help others, they are laying up treasure in heaven. They are investing in eternity, in crowns, in rewards, in that idea of, of being able to have some type of retirement plan where it is something where you're active and you're busy and you're serving the Lord. He is calling us to being faithful with our finances. It's going to be examined. There is going to be some type of reward for what we do with our finances. So what does the Bible tell us to do with finances? You fill in the blank. What does God ask of us when it comes to finances? Doesn't he ask us to do such things as give to church, give to missions? Doesn't he call us to be charitable people? Doesn't he say that we're supposed to care for the elderly with our finances? Our elderly relatives, our elderly, our elderly saints. Because if a man takes, doesn't take care of his family, he is what? He is worse than an infidel. Doesn't he ask us with our finances to be honest individuals? Doesn't he ask us in our finances to owe no man anything? In other words, pay our bills. Doesn't he say with our finances that we're supposed to provide for our family? He gives us all those commands. Don't you think then he evaluates some of that? Because if we are investing our finances, handling them right, then there's rewards for it. Let me give you another area that's very important, but it's often overlooked. Take your Bibles and go to Luke 15. You're close by. In Luke chapter 14, excuse me, Luke chapter 14, he gives us another area, an area that is probably overlooked by the majority of us because we don't see it as important as Jesus Christ does. In Luke chapter 14, he talks about the area of hospitality. He says in Luke 14, Jump down to verse 12. He said uh, also to him that bade him, to the man who had invited him to the meal, watch what Jesus says. When you make a dinner or a supper, call not just your friends or your brothers, nor your kinsmen or relatives, nor your rich neighbors, lest they also bid you come again and recompense be made unto thee. In other words, be hospitable, but don't limit your hospitality to those who can invite you back. He goes on. But when you make a feast, call the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, and you shall be blessed. Watch what, he, watch what he continues on. For they cannot recompense you, for you shall be recompensed when? When is the recompensation for being hospitable? 
at the resurrection of the just. There is a reward some way, somehow, that's he's saying, for you who are hospitable, which demands for you and me that we work at this area, which that we give it some a time and attention, and that we focus on this area. Now, this isn't the only text that talks about hospitality. Let me take you to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10, as it's on the board, says this, he that receives you receives me. He that receives me receives him that sent me. He goes on. He that receives a prophet in the name of the prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. But he that receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. There again. There's some type of reward for hospitality for those who are showing hospitality to other believers, to others who are coming through, the itinerant preachers, those individuals who would have an impact upon your life. In other words, what he's telling me and you is this. Hospitality is important. We minimize it in our society, but it is important. Hospitality should be practiced by you and me. Let me take it a step further. Your hospitality will be examined. Did you ever think about that? I haven't. I can honestly say, you know, I haven't really dwelt upon that. But my hospitality or lack thereof could be examined. And it would be rewarded if we are faithful in this area because hospitality, according to Luke chapter 14, is going to be rewarded. So if there's a crown, if there's a reward, if there's some type of commendation for hospitality, what are you going to hear? What will you hear up to this point, the way you have opened your home to be hospitable to other people? What will you hear? That the food was well done? <laughs> or will you hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant? There's another area that we need to be careful about, an area that sometimes we overlook, the area of our vocation, that is your job. It is not just something that's getting you by, but according to the passages of Scripture, it is something that is really critical that he will examine. Go to Colossians. Colossians chapter 3. In the book of Colossians, Jesus Christ is making the comment through the Apostle Paul, and he's writing about, about work and how we're supposed to be faithful in our jobs and that we're supposed to be uh, doing what's right. Now, let's transfer ourselves in time. Let's do the time machine. Let's go way back with Mr. Peabody and, and uh, he, you know, whoever rides with him. Who's the kid that rides with him? Sherman, thank you. I knew it was an S and I couldn't remember. So let's ride back with Sherman. And when we go back to those, those time periods that this is written, the majority of people don't have jobs like you and I. They don't have unions. They don't have job security. They don't have unemployment insurances. They don't have any kind of, uh, of protection. They're slaves. The majority of people are owned by somebody else or their master is, is selling them out, lending them out, in the, or I shouldn't say lending, but renting them out. And so he's writing to people who have a tough time with their job because they don't get their days off. They don't get their two weeks vacation. They don't even get to spend as much time with their family as they would like to. So it's a really rugged world that he's writing to. And he writes in Colossians chapter 3, starting with verse 22. Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. And whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men, knowing that of the Lord you shall receive what? He says the reward of... That is not salvation. That is a reward that comes with what we get in heaven. 
He says, you shall receive the reward of the inheritance for you serve Jesus Christ. He is calling you and me to something that is really, really challenging. He is saying that when it comes to work, we need to make sure that we are doing it in a way that honors God, that we are serving the Lord. So what does he ask us to do when it comes to our job? What kind of things come up when we think about what does Christ want of us when we go to work tomorrow, on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday? What, what type of stuff are you supposed to be working at as a believer? Well, what he says that you better have the right attitude, he mentions that right in this passage, that you have to respect your boss. He mentions that you and I are supposed to work hard. He mentions that we're to be honest. He talks about not purloining in 1 Timothy, or in Titus, I should say. He tells us that when we work, we're to work as unto the Lord. We're not supposed to have an attitude, well, when the boss comes, I'll work harder. We're supposed to be working our best even when the boss isn't around. We're not supposed to be working for the idea of impressing other people. We're to be working because we're doing it heartily as unto the Lord. We're supposed to be content with our job. We're supposed to have good ethics with our job. How's it going? If those are some of, the, some of the requirements that Jesus has laid out in the New Testament and says you're supposed to work a certain way because you get an inheritance from the Lord based on how you've worked, how's it going to go? Is he going to say you've done a great job with your attitude? You've been a real great testimony there at work the way that you have just been a positive influence upon the others. Is that what he's going to say? Is he going to say that you have really been consistent in your job? You've never cheated on the time card and put down that you came in at such and such a time and then sat and visited and didn't do any work for a while. He's going to say you never took anything. That's great. You've been an honest employee. You didn't even lie when they wanted to force you into lying. Is that what you're going to hear then? Well done, thou good and faithful servant, because you worked hard. You did it with the right attitude. That's an area he's going to examine. An area that he's going to look at. In other words, let's rephrase this. When you go to work this week, keep this in mind. What you do this week at work will help determine what you'll do in heaven. Now that would have an impact upon your job. If you believe this. If you really believe it, it's going to make a difference when you don't feel like working. When the others start to slow down. Oh, by the way, the job for a number of you teenagers, it's not working where you're punching a clock. It's school. What is your attitude towards your teachers, towards your class? What is a, are you one of those who just sloughs off or are you developing character that says, I'll do my best no matter what? Would you hear a well done, thou good and faithful student if Jesus came back? Because what you do at school could have impact on what type of job you get for all eternity. What a profound thought. What an impacting thought. But let's go a little bit further. There's another area that God says he's going to examine. All of us need to work at being faithful in how we respond to those who treat us poorly. How we respond. Now, this passage is from Matthew that many of you know. And for the sake of time, I'll just put it up here. It says in Matthew chapter 5, blessed, this is from the Beatitudes, blessed are you when men shall revile and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you for my name's sake. Now, watch what he continues. He adds this. He says, rejoice and be exceedingly glad. What? Be glad that people are giving me a hard time? For great is your reward where? In heaven. There's a reward in how you respond to those who get after you for your Christian faith. Luke puts it this way. Luke chapter 6 says, But I say unto you which hear, love your enemies, do good to them which hate you, bless them that curse you, pray for them which despitefully use you. And then he goes on and says, love your enemies, do good, lend, hoping for nothing again, and your reward <clears throat> shall be great. 
I am not good at responding to people who give me a bad time. I'm just not one of those people. One of, one of those people who, you know, I don't like this type of thing. I don't like what happened again. We had that, that snowstorm the other day, during part of the day, and I ran over towards the hospital, was cutting back over after I'd visited somebody, cutting through the alleyways. I do not like it when some teenage punk kid stands in the middle of the alley talking to somebody out a window. You know, he's standing there talking to somebody in the house and the slick roads, and I come up and I want to go through and he just waves at me with, with gestures that aren't high. But he waves his hand and I say, can you move so I can get through? And they yell back something that I can't ever repeat. And, you know, just, you know, you just have to wait. I, my reaction to that kind of stuff is hit the gas, okay? <laughs> That's me. That's my flesh, okay? Nobody else thinks that way. I do. I'm not evil, okay? It was like, make you a hood ornament. Boom, you know. You know that's, my, that's my fleshly reaction, okay? What does Jesus call us to do? He calls us to do a whole lot better than to make them look like that little dog in the Mack truck. Okay, he calls us that when people give us a hard time because of our faith in Jesus Christ, what do you, what do, you do? How do you respond? He's going to examine this. Did you catch this? This has something to do with your rewards, he says that what we're supposed to do is pray for those individuals. Not pray against them, but pray for them. He says that we're supposed to bless those people. I don't want to bless them. In my flesh, I don't want to bless. I want to beat them. But I'm just too, too much of a wimp to do it, so you know, I can't do it. But he says bless those people. He says treat them kindly. That's against our human nature. But he says if you do this, if you do, and if you let me empower you, and you go through and you respond to criticism and accusation the right way, he said, there's a reward in heaven. That amazes me. That amazes me that the way I react to other people who are against me, who would lie about me. Have you ever had people lie about what you believe? Have you ever had people in your relations, your relatives, your neighbors, falsely represent your faith in Christ? I'm getting really sick and tired of people talking about our church and the goofy stuff we believe. And we don't believe it. I have heard more stuff in this last, month, last year about stuff that we are supposed to be preaching in this church that I've never heard preached here. Okay, I know that I sleep some of the times when I'm preaching, okay, but I've never said some of the goofy stuff we're supposed to be being said and teaching at this place. And it irritates me. So, should I go out and slash tires? No. No. Because what we face compared to what saints of old faced or saints in territories where it's not just being set against, they're being persecuted literally, jailed. They're being beaten. And he says, the way you respond, if you bless, if you pray, if you treat them kindly, I'll reward you for that. There's another area, another area that's not as in-depth as far as involved in the passage, but he makes a comment about this. And it's an area that that he says to has to do with our doctrine, with our doctrinal beliefs that he's going to reward based upon what we do and how we believe and how we handle our doctrine. It says this in 2 John, verse 7 and 8. He says, Many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. That was very predominant in the region of the world that Paul was preaching, as well as John was preaching and Peter were preaching. They had a lot of that. By the way, it's becoming a little bit more predominant in America, is it not too? that people are, we're getting more and more Christ deniers within our country. And he goes on, and after he says that, he makes this comment, look to yourselves, that you lose not those things which we have wrought, that you receive a full reward. A full reward. 
It, it, part of it is based upon where are we doctrinally. You know what that means to me? That means I better know doctrine. I better learn what scriptures teach us so that we are standing upon truth. How do you know if you're standing upon truth unless you know the truth? We need to learn it. We need to hang on to it. We need not compromise it, though we get the pressure from society to shift, to compromise, to give up certain things. We remain loyal to the Word of God. We remain loyal to the truths. Jesus is God. Jesus is going to judge us one day. There is a hell. You must be born again. I understand that some of that is not popular. I understand that for us to preach and to teach that God is going to put some people in hell one day because they rejected him. I understand the criticisms that we will get for saying that. I understand the criticism which we're going to get, and you're going to get at work. You're going to get the pressure that you're saying that God could possibly chasten a child of God, that God could possibly take somebody's life if they are that disobedient. That's a doctrine. Holy living, purity. Yeah, we hold truth to those, true to those, those doctrines. Even if they're unpleasant ones, we hold truth true to the Word of God. We don't shift. Should I show you another area that he talks about? This is an area we'll call, I'm going to call spiritual disciplines. All of us need to work at being faithful in our spiritual disciplines. Go with me. Or are you still, are you by Matthew 6? I forget where I left you last. Okay. We're in Matthew chapter 6. We're going back to the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus is preaching at this time. And while he's talking, he's going to deal with some things that are very, very, very important. Have you ever been so busy in your life that you kind of forget the important things? You run out of the house and then you remember, oh, I don't have the car keys. And you run back and you find out, wait a minute, if I don't have the car keys, I also don't have the house keys. And I got a real problem. Have you ever run into that? You've just been so busy in the day, you just kind of leave. One of our people was telling me this morning, they gave me permission, and I'm not using names, but they gave me permission. They said they were so busy this morning, they were trying to get to the early service. They had some obligations you know, throughout the morning. So they were so focused, so busy, that she said, I got dressed, I ran out the door, I got in the car, and I closed the door, and I looked down, and I thought, oh no, I forgot to put my dress on. I'm just sitting in my slip. You know, it was just, she says, I'm so glad I caught it before I got to church. Okay. That could be a little bit embarrassing. Yes, I understand that. You know, and the reason we laugh is because some of us, we could do the same thing. Well, not in the dress, guys. I mean, <laughs> yeah, let's drop that one. We won't even go there. But we get so busy, we forget some things that are important. You know, we, we forget an item. He is talking, Matthew 6, about the important things, the spiritual disciplines. And he lists several of those in the text. And when he lists them, it's interesting that he includes rewards with them. Could the rewards being the answers to the prayer? Could be. But he, it's interesting how he deals with it. He says, like in verse 3. In verse 3, he's going to talk about the rewards. He's going to talk about one of these spiritual disciplines. And he's going to make it very clear in this text that he says, okay, here's what you need to be doing. Look at verse 3. So, but he says, but when you do your alms. Your alms is what? Charitable giving. Charitable giving. He has just talked about how the Pharisees do their charitable giving. They do it and they clang, clang down that trumpet, down that, that horn that goes into the treasury so everybody would know, or they trumpet out loud, you know, here I come with my gifts. And so they, they make a big show of it. And he goes on, and he says in verse 2 that the hypocrites do in the synagogues and the streets that they may have the glory, they have their own reward. He says to us, but when you do alms, let not your left hand know what your right hand does, that your alms may be in secret, and your Father which sees in secret, what's he going to do? He's going to reward us 
openly. Watch another spiritual discipline that he talks about in this text. In the text, he talks not only about almsgiving, but he talks about praying. Jump down to verse 6. When you pray, enter into your closet, and when you have shut the door, pray to the Father which is in secret. Your Father which sees in secret shall what? He's going to reward you openly. So he makes it very clear. Jump down to verse 17. In verse 17, when, he says, you, when you, when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, that you appear not unto men to fast, but unto your Father which is in secret, and your Father which sees in secret shall what? He's going to reward you openly. It's going to make the, the, the open reward. Could it be in this life? Possibly. Could it be the open reward in the sense that he's going to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Because you have been faithful in praying. You have been faithful in, in charitable giving. You have been faithful in fasting. What I do in my spiritual disciplines today could have a tremendous impact on the job I'm given for eternity. Have I been faithful in an area of prayer? And it is so easy because nobody sees it. Oh, we see if you come to church or not. I, and for all the teasing and all the hassle I give you about changing your seats in the auditorium, there's a benefit to it. Because in my mind, I can make a mental assessment of who's here, who's not here. And it just, there's a help to that. You know what that's like. You, you miss somebody who's not sitting in their seat. But what do we know about what we do in our private prayer time? Nothing. I don't know what you do. You don't know what I do. We talk about it, but you have no clue what I do. And if I have a private prayer time on a daily basis, other than I tell you that I do. But you have no proof or bearing it, but Jesus knows. Jesus watches, and Jesus is keeping in, in his account book, if you would. Am I faithful in prayer? Am I faithful in doing the fasting if I'm able to fast? Some of you can't because of physical needs. We understand that. Some of you in the charitable areas, the almsgiving, are you faithful? Well, Jesus Christ is saying there's rewards. In one shape, way, or however, there's rewards for being faithful in the spiritual disciplines. Can you give me an eighth area? An eighth area that's implied in Scripture. Now you've got to go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Just a passage that he's going to elaborate. And we looked at the part of this passage this morning. We looked at it and it has to do with the Bema seat, the judgment of Jesus Christ. But right before that, he's talking about an area of service that's going to be evaluated. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 6 through 8. This is the area of sharing the gospel. It is a tremendously impacting passage that talks about this. Look what he says in the argument. The argument that's going on in this text. Who then, I'm going to catch at verse 5. Who then is Paul? Who's Apollos? But they're ministers. The argument in the church is, I like this preacher better than that preacher. I'm going to listen to them. I'm going to listen to this person. And they're my favorite. And he says, stop, stop, stop. You don't need to, in the church setting to have your favorites. You don't need to be focusing on little clicks in the church because we're all in this, doing this ministry together. That's his point is that it's a joint effort. And he points that out by saying this. He says in verse 6, I have planted, Apollos has watered. But who gives the increase? It's not a man. It's God. It's God who brings the souls to salvation. It's God who produces the maturity. It's God who changes us into a new creation. He goes on. So then neither is he that plant anything, neither he that watereth, but God. God who gives the increase. Now, he that plants and he that waters, they're one. And every man, it's amazing. God does all the work. He's saying God is doing it. God's responsible. But what does he say? God's still going to give you a reward. Your part was real small. 
but I'm still going to reward you. He says, he says, every man shall receive his own reward according to his labor. For we are laborers together with God. You are his husbandry. You are his building. You go down to verse 11, 12, 13, and there's your bema seat judgment. Isn't it interesting? The same passage in 2 Corinthians where he says that we must all be, appear before Jesus Christ to receive what we have done in our body, whether it be good or whether it be bad. The next verse says, therefore knowing the terror of the Lord, we what? We persuade men. We get involved with evangelism. Both the passages that deal with Bema Seat Judgment, both also make sure they call us to an act of evangelism. An act of getting involved in, in getting the gospel out. What he is saying very clearly is this. Ultimately, evangelism is a work of God. I understand that. You understand that. But any one of us can and should be involved in the process. We should be giving some type of contribution of sharing the gospel in another person's life, in some family, in somebody in our community. Let's take it a step further. We can be involved in different phases. We don't all have to do the same, the same exact job in evangelism. Some plant, some water. And by the way, is all evangelism have to be done exactly the same way? No. Some of us got saved after hearing the gospel one or two times. Some of us didn't get saved until we heard it for hundreds of times. Some of us, we responded to a message that was calling us to repentance out of fear of damnation. Some of us got saved because he talked about the love of God and the sacrifice. And God appealed to our hearts at different moments in different ways. He used different occasions, different people, different, different events. And it all worked to the same goal that God saved our soul, that God did the work. And you and I can be involved in this God work, he says, even though we're not the important characters, he says, you can do some planting, you can do some watering, we can be involved in the, all these efforts that we give. Even though God does the ultimate work, all that we do, it counts with God. He notices it. He marks it down. And it says that he, everyone will receive his own reward according to his own labor. I, and I'm not sure exactly how that all fleshes out, other than in my mind, it kind of works this way. It kind of works that when we do outreach in our community. I do the preaching on Sundays, and I share the word from here. You invite somebody. Who gets the crowns for somebody who comes and gets saved? Just me? I don't think so. Oh, the person who walked with them to a counseling room and they prayed, that person gets it. I don't think so. I think the person who planted the person who watered. I think that God is so generous, he's going to give multiple crowns of those who impacted. What about the individuals who came to the reenactment? Last year in the reenactment, somebody came and got saved that night. Okay? Well, who gets the crown? The person who was here in the family center who sat over in this corner and, and shared the word and they got saved and they prayed with them? What about the persons who gave them the invitation card? What about the persons who were through the entire presentation that as they went from room to room, there was the wooing of the Spirit of God upon their heart? Don't you kind of think in your, in your own heart, in your own mind, that our gracious God who is generously looking for opportunity to say good job, that he'll say it multiple times on behalf of that one person? So you and I should get involved. You know what this means to me? The scary thought that we've been trying to give you all day. The positive thought we've been trying to give you. What we do in outreach determines what we'll do in eternity. If you don't do anything in outreach, if you have no compulsion to try to give out the word of God, you do nothing in an active sense, then why would you be given a crown, a reward 
for evangelism when you have sat by the wayside and said, I don't care about it, I'm just glad I'm getting to heaven. It doesn't work that way. The Word of God makes it clear that we ought to be faithful when it comes to evangelism. How do I do that? How about giving out tracts? I hope it's a positive thing that I saw this evening. There's a lot of blanks in our track rack out here. Great, good. I hope that's not a reflection on you not getting tracks, Pastor Travis. I hope it's a reflection that you are taking them, that, it's, that they're being given out. That's great. That's good. Keep up the good job. What about praying for lost souls? Isn't that Romans chapter 10 where Paul is saying, I'm praying, I'm beseeching God to do this to you? What about the area of giving some type of witness at work? It may not be much. It may not be a whole lot of, of giving out the Romans road, but you're giving some. You're pointing to some degree. You're befriending a lost person into the neighborhood, a lost person that you're working with. You're trying to assist them, help them, and develop a relationship where you can show them the love of Christ. What about ministering to them in some way? Going over to somebody who has a need, a meal, some, some project in their house, somebody who's elderly who lives nearby you, and their, their family isn't paying them attention, but you start doing it. Your kids start getting involved, and they go over and they befriend those people. And then you get an opportunity to lead them to the Lord before they end their life. What a thrill, what a joy. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. What about the idea of answering people's questions? Instead of saying, I just don't know. What about finding out, giving them the answers? What about avoiding stumbling an individual? Not putting before them an attitude or an action that they would say, I don't want what you have. I don't want to even think about the church or the belief that you have. Some classmate that just says, man, if that's the way a Christian lives, I want nothing to do with it. No, you don't want to do that. You want to present before them a consistency that of love of Christ. What about inviting people to church? You know, if, if we had to, I have no problem with doing split services on a regular basis because you're inviting so many people. I'll gladly do that. I don't care. I enjoy preaching. It's kind of fun doing it. Okay? I enjoy doing it. I'll gladly do that. I'll gladly do more than, one, than three services on a Sunday if you keep inviting people. That'll be a thrill. That'll be a delight. We have a reach ministry that in two weeks Pastor Travis is going to take the Sunday evening service. He's going to introduce this, this ministry of outreach that you can get involved in. I would encourage you, I would challenge you that with, in light of eternity, you know, how it impacts your life, what you do in an area like reach. That can make all the difference what you're going to do for eternity, the job in eternity. I would encourage you to get involved. Get involved in some phase because any phase of outreach is a positive in God's eyes. Any contribution in trying to win a lost, a family, a community, it is positive in God's eyes. It is a well done, thou good and faithful servant. Don't be intimidated by saying, well, wait a minute, I don't know the Romans road. Get involved with what you can, learn what you can, and do the evangelism. Why? Because what you do today could make all the difference for eternity, not just in their life, but in yours. Let me give you a couple more here. In number nine, all of us need to work at responding the right way to trials, to the trials that we face. There's a passage that most all of you know. Blessed is the man that endures temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life. It's one of the five crowns. James chapter 1, verse 12 makes it very clear that God says, I will reward with crowns those who endure the trials. In 1 Peter 1, he says the same type of an idea. That the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Commendation again. When Christ comes back, the Bema Seat concept, 
that he is saying how you respond to the trials. Now, I know this and you know it. God doesn't call all of us to suffer. He doesn't call us all to suffer the same thing. We all have different levels of trials, different times of trials. But what God calls us to do is whenever there's a trial in our life that we respond the right way, to act right, to be right, to do right. That means that when the trials come, we're not supposed to get bitter. We're not supposed to become angry. We're not supposed to strike out at other people. We're not supposed to revile. We're not supposed to lie to get out of the problem. We're not supposed to attack the people around us that are loving and trying to minister. We're not supposed to respond like an Elijah and just run off and stop serving the Lord because there's threats. We're supposed to be faithful. Even if we hear the big C word, even if we hear you're fired, even if we hear there's some type of an illness or challenge or difficulty, some of you have had a loss of a house. By finances, some of you by fire. Some of you have had car accidents that looked really serious. How you and I respond to whatever the trial it is going to have an impact in our eternity. How we react to the trials determines what we will do in eternity. Think that through when the trials come this week. How you react to the difficulty. How you react when the kid comes up and they say to you, Daddy... I just stuffed my teddy bear down the toilet. There's a trial for you. How are you going to react? It will have a bearing on rewards and well done, thou good and faithful servant. Let me give you number 10. All of us need to work at faithfully investing in the lives of others spiritually. Investing in the lives of others spiritually. Typically, this passage is called the crown of rejoicing. It is usually talked about as being the soul winner's crown. I think there's more to it as I study it, as I reflect upon it. He says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 19, for what is our hope, what is our crown of rejoicing? The crown is Stephanoi. It's the laurel wreath, one of the five that are given out clearly. Are not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? He is writing to the Thessalonians. Now, Paul did much more than lead them to the Lord. He discipled them. Paul did much more than, than just um, sharing the word with them so they, so they grew. He helped train them in doctrine. He spent time with them. He sent others. It strikes me that you and I are supposed to be involved in people's spiritual growth. How can that be done? Beyond just giving out a track, beyond just seeing them get saved, what about mentoring them? What about taking time and doing a Bible study? What about praying with that individual? What about encouraging them in the faith? What about helping them to see how to really respond and treat their family and their wives and the people around them? What about taking the time? I'm, I'm, in, I'm impressed by what Micah is doing in Georgia. He is working with some people. He's led several to the Lord who are peoples who have been in, involved with alcohol or should we say controlled by the alcohol. And some of the, uh, one or two of the other pastors in the community have said about a couple of those men, oh, they, they stumbled, they went back to drink. That means they'll never serve God. Micah has made it a ministry the last month, six weeks, to follow up on those guys, to go after them, to go to their haunts, find them, bring them back to his place, to help find them a job, to help minister to them, help feed them to help mentor them, to give them assistance so they can understand that they can change, that even though they are a new creature, that they have to put some effort into some of this process. And he's been mentoring them. I think there's a well done, thou good and faithful servant. 
to assisting people, investing in their lives spiritually, people who are battling, people who are struggling. So do you do that? Or is it in your life that says, well, wait a minute, yeah, I've done my fair share of teaching. I've done my fair share of helping one or two people. That's good. I'm glad you did it. But may I ask, is that all that you want to hear in eternity? That you helped one or two? Don't you want your whole life to count by saying, I've invested as the years go by. I even have more to invest, more understanding of the Word of God. I want to invest in those kids. I want to invest in, in some of those teens. I want to invest in some of those, those who are babes in the Lord. I want to really get involved with them. And I want to help them. I want to pray for them. I want to, I want to encourage some of those young ladies, those young mothers, who they, they, they just kind of feel lost at times with what to do with those little kids that, that aren't following what they thought would happen. You know what it's like. You bring that kid home from the hospital for the first time, you knew exactly what you should do, what everybody else should do with their kids until you got that one home. That first one just threw you for a loop. You didn't know what to do in the middle of the night. So you call and ask for advice of another young mother who's doing the same thing you are doing. But Titus says, no, the ones that they should be able to call are who? Let the older woman teach the younger woman. Making yourself available to help them through those discouraging moments. And I don't mean this in a bad way, but, and, and, and I'm not against kids. We had our own. Okay. You know. But can't it be discouraging with little babies? Can't it be physically exhausting to the point that it drains you spiritually? You need encouragement. And some of you here can give that encouragement, can go out of the way and spend some time. Let me give you number 11. Number 11 and 12. Now, all of us need to work at being faithful when it comes to personal purity. Personal purity. You're close by, you're, if I'm not mistaken, you're in Corinthians. We're going to chapter 9, verse 25. In this context, Paul is writing and he's talking about serving. And he uses multiple different illustrations. Look down in verse 24. Knowing not that they which run in a race, they do it all. They give their all for this race. They're, they're really competing. But one receives the prize. Okay? Wouldn't we say this, and I'm not trying to promote any team. Wouldn't we say that, boy, it kind of felt bad for Atlanta that they didn't win? You know, they played a good game. Kind of wish that they gave two trophies out, but we know that doesn't work that way. I wish they gave 32 out. Then the Vikings could get one for a change. Okay. <laughs> but it doesn't work that way. He's saying that that's not the way the, worst, the races go. So run that you may obtain. And every man that strives for the mastery is temperate or self-disciplined in all things. They do it to obtain a corruptible crown. We an incorruptible crown, or stephanoi, one of those promises. You, you and I understand this. This is real simple. In the ancient world, the athletes who competed, they competed for a reward. They had to say no to certain things. They had to say no today. If we were athletes, some of us would have to say no to the donuts. We'd have to say no to the sodas. We'd have to say no to the extra helpings. We'd have to say no to just sitting and lounging and go out there and do the exercise. And he is saying there's times you have to do that. You have to run by the rules. He goes on, even says, verse 26, I therefore run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beats the air, but I keep my body. He says, I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest by any means, he says, when I have preached, I find myself being eliminated from the trophy because I cheated because I didn't run by the rules. You know, how we respond to temptations in our life, the physical temptations, it makes a difference for eternity. 
There is a crown for those who say no to the temptations, that they are running a race for the Lord. They want to remain pure in their life. They say no to that computer ad when it pops up. They say no to that conversation with that coworker who wants to talk with you in private, the other gender, worker that says, I can talk to you. You understand me. I trust you, and your ego is inflated, and boy, I can possibly minister, but you all of a sudden get yourself in a very, very dangerous situation. you gotta, you got to use some wisdom here. you got to have the sense to be able to say, wait a minute, even though my ego may be inflated, i got to avoid temptation. I've got to run when the Potiphar's wife comes a-knocking on the door. I've got to turn and go the other direction. We need to say no to the cheating. We need to say no to the lying. We need to say no to the lust. We need to say no to the lack of discipline when it comes to taking care of our bodies. The gluttony that we never talk about in our churches. Okay? We don't want to talk about gluttony because most of the time after church service, what do we have? Food. (laughs) Fellowship. But doesn't self-discipline include eating properly? taking care of our vessels. He says this, number, the last one, in 2 Timothy. I invite you to go there with me. In 2 Timothy, he's talking in this text about you and I watching, looking, waiting for the Lord's return. And he's talking in the text about loving his appearing. Most of you already know this passage, but just for the sake of time, just turn there and join with me. Humor me if you would. In 2 Timothy chapter 2. Paul's writing and he's talking about the end of his life and he's finishing it out. But he says in this text, 2 Timothy 4, he says, For I am now ready to be offered. The time of my departure is at hand. I'm in 2 Timothy 4, verse 6. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is what? Laid up for me a crown of, there it is, a stephanoi, of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day and not to me only, but to all them that love his appearing. Looking for the Lord, loving his appearing, how does that work? I think it works a couple ways. That we really believe it could happen. Not pretend, but really believe it could happen. That we live as if it really could happen this week. So we don't go some places. So we don't watch certain programs. Why? The Lord could come back. The Lord could come back. We want to be faithful to the Lord. We want to be serious about this. We want to do what the Lord wants because there's a crown for those who are serving as if Christ could come back, as if there isn't just many, many, many more tomorrows. It could be today, maybe today. Christ is coming. And he says if we live that way, what an impact. What a challenge. But there's too many that kind of just pretend. This is a guy who used to coach, Cotton Fitzsimmons. used to coach the Phoenix Suns, I believe. They were playing in the NBA several years ago. They were playing a game, and his team was on a losing streak. They were coming into New York, and they were going to have a game at the, at the Garden there in New York. And when they come in, his team's kind of discouraged. They've lost several games. They're in last place in the division. He thought, I'm going to pull out of my hat a trick of encouragement. I'm going to give this pep talk that I remember when I was first getting into coaching, I heard that coach used, and it was very effective. It pumped up the team, and they won the game. So he says, guys... Let's do something tonight. When we go out on that floor, let's pretend in our minds that we're winners. We're not losers. Let's tell ourselves we're on a winning streak. 
We're not in last place. We're in first place. Let's go out there tonight and act in the minds that this is a playoff game. This is game number seven. We got to give our all. Let's go out there. Let's win. Rah, rah, rah. And everybody goes out and they're all excited and they get creamed. Get absolutely beaten. The game's over. Coach Fitzsimmons in the locker room sitting in the corner really discouraged. One of the players comes up wanting to say a word of encouragement says, hey coach, let's just pretend we won. <laughs> Is that what you're doing when it comes to your service for Christ? Pretending that you are serving? Pretending that you've got this all down pat? Seriously, ask yourself these questions. Which ones have you been faithful at? Which ones would you give yourself an A on? Which ones would you say, I really need to work? Me, I look at all 12 and go, work, 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 work. But reality says in my heart, I can't do all 12 this week or I'll get nothing done. So I pick a couple. A couple that I'm going to focus on. And I'm going to remember as the week goes on and remind myself multiple times this week that what I do this week will help determine what I experience in eternity. What a difference it'll make.